right, push the red button. We're recording. So good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. And welcome to another rendition of rendition of Wayne Grudem's ethics class taught by the elders here at North Shore Church. Let me start us with prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning already. God, I thank you for no rain this morning. I also thank you that we are all here. Lord, I thank you that you bless us with the ability to be here. God, I thank you for this facility. I thank you for the warm room and comfortable chairs. Lord, I ask that you would continue to guide our thoughts this morning. Help us to think about this topic of lying and help me to present it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, Brian had the greater and the lesser. And we'll get into that again, actually, today just a little bit. But today's topic is lying and telling the truth. Pretty basic, except, honestly, there are 30-plus pages in this chapter. So we're going to go through it. We're going to hit the high points. And then hopefully when we get done with that, we have a little time for discussion. Did it work? Yes. Woohoo! All right. So, today's topic is based on the ninth commandment You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. From Exodus 20, verse 16. And the specific focus of this commandment is a false witness that someone would give, as in a courtroom situation, similar. There are other wordings in Scripture about false witnesses, and they almost always pertain to courtroom or testifying as to what your neighbor or somebody else has done. But I think you'll see as we go through the topic today that this this commandment is not only intended to prohibit this kind of talking about your neighbor, but it is general, broad, and applies to us Christians that we are not to lie at any point for any reason. Um, the topic in lying, of lying and telling the truth is closely connected to other commandments, uh, purity of speech and such, and it has also, to Wayne Grudem, been shown that he should be teaching this early on in the ethics course. So we're only in a few weeks, so we're jumping ahead to the Ninth Commandment right away so that we all get an idea of how how this issue of lying can relate to all of the other topics that we will be talking about ethically. Um, sadly, lying has become part of a common and ordinary life here. A couple studies to quote. Uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst in 2002 studied and found that 60% of the people can go no longer than 10 minutes without telling a lie. Um, that's not good. Uh, I don't know if they were on college campus survey or not, but uh, and those people who were surveyed, the average people who did lie, told an average of two to three lies during that 10-minute period. That's pretty shocking. Um, maybe a little easier to believe is this British survey done in 2008, founding people that lie found that people lie four times a day on average which adds up to 1,460 times a year 
And by the time we're 60 years of old, we will have lied over 88,000 times. Not okay. Okay. That was point one, the meaning of the commandment, and now two, a definition of lying. Well, we're going to be discussing lying, and what's kind of happened last week, if you guys remember, we were doing lesser and greater, and we kind of went all around. It, it, the discussion went in a lot of different places. We can't do that with lying. We'll be here for a week if we try to cover all aspects. And so we need a precise definition of what it is exactly that we're discussed. Which ethical and moral value are we, in a narrow sense, talking about? And that would be verbally affirming something that you know to be untrue or false. Um, some people, when they think of lying, they think of every sort of deception that you could possibly have, including not only the spoken or written statements, but also actions that mislead or deceive others, um, statements that only disclose portions of the truth, um, unintentional falsehoods that you would make unaware, you were uninformed, you didn't know the truth when you made your statement, but it turned out to be false. Um, all of these can be discussed later at different times, but for today, we need a very specific category for our discussions. And that is an assertion contrary to the speaker's belief, as in a very narrow discussion and another reason for focusing on verbal statements or written, verbal or written statements, is that the Bible's own focus on this issue of lying is in a more narrow sense. The sense of affirming in words something that you believe to be false. Um, things not included in lying. Silence. Not answering. Nonverbal actions. Ironic statements, such as humor, <laughs> um, you know, uh, hyperboles um, used for exaggeration or effect, and unintentional falsehoods. All of those are not included in this, this definition. And uh, Wayne Grudem and myself want to make it clear that I'm not making any moral judgments on any of these other acts. This morning we're talking about written or spoken falsehoods that you know to be wrong when you say them. Um, so, back to the reason why do we have a commandment that says thou shalt not lie. And it cannot be simply the case that lying is wrong because it deceives people, or you would have to argue that every form of deception would be morally wrong, including deceptive maneuvers in warfare or sports contests, um, a position that no one would defend that Faking someone out with basketball. Oh, you lied. You can't do that. You know, that's, I'm kind of going there so that we understand that's not what we're talking about. Um, statements written or, writ or spoken can be proven either true or false. So we're kind of locking in on that one. Um, scripture itself uses lie and lying quite often in a narrow sense of affirming in words something that one thinks to be false. From these two passages, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. From Romans 9, verse 1, and from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, 
For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So these are just two examples of scriptures, very pointed use of I am not lying as in the spoken word. Um, oh, hit it too many times. Our third point, numerous biblical statements condemn lying. Uh, I'm just going to rattle off a few of them here. i got a couple pages. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That is our commandment. My lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Job verse 27, verse 4. You destroy those who speak lies. Psalms 5, verse 6. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Psalm 58, verse 3. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Psalm 119, 163. <clears throat> but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? You have not lied to men, but to God. And that's from Acts 5, verses 3 through 4. And another one from Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeking that you have put off the old self with its practices and put, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Therefore, the Bible's moral standards regarding lying include not only the Ninth Commandment, but an entire collection of Old Testament and New Testament passages that prohibit speaking lies or falsehood. And this is just a partial list. Many similar passages condemn such things as lying, falsehoods, liars, and those who speak lies. Now, the clarification of our term neighbor. Um, we read the commandment, and the commandment says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. And some might be willing to argue that, well, then what we're talking about is our neighbor as a Christian, our Christian neighbor. The only time I have to watch my, my words is when I'm talking to my neighbor, because that's what the commandment says. And I'm going to hold that very narrowly and then allow deceptive speech and lies to be told to the rest of the world. Well, sounds like maybe you could get away with that argument and argue your point there, but let's just read the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's. So if we use that same logic, throw it on the 10th commandment, that means it's fine for us to covet our neighbor's wives, his houses, their possessions. And we all know that that's not true. So with that, I think any mention that neighbor in the ninth commandment would restrict who we have are commanded not to lie to, that should be wiped away. Um, does anybody have any question with that? Do we, do we not see why neighbor in the ninth commandment is the way it was stated, but God's command is thou shouldn't be lying? Okay, I don't have any... Anybody arguing with me on that? That's good. Um, because we surely wouldn't want to argue that the 10th commandment doesn't apply 
to us in all of its aspects. Um, God's character, the basis for not lying. God cannot lie. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Or Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The ground for these ethical norms against lying, therefore, is not found in any human results, such as the benefits or the harms that lying might do to someone else, or whether someone might be led to think something is false, but in the fact that our lying dishonors God. God seeks creatures who rightly represent his image, whereas Satan consistently promotes all kinds of falsehoods and lying speech. The narrative examples of lying in scripture, they do not overturn our conclusions that lying is always wrong. And this is a discussion of Rahab and the midwives, which we got into a little bit last week. We were talking about the lesser and the greater. But there are two New Testament passages that commonly come up to say, look, this happened. The Rahab hid the spies and she lied and God, God was seemingly okay with that. And the same with the midwives. But there are a couple distinctions that we can, we can make if we read carefully into Scripture. Um, they, the two New Testament passages commend their faith, Rahab's faith, for receiving the spies and sending them out safely. But they conspicuously avoid mentioning the lie. From Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And James 2, verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Neither passage mentions the fact that she lied about if they were in her home or not. They mentioned the fact that she gave them friendly welcome, she let them in her house, and that she gave them instruction to go the other direction. Um, and if we go back to the, the other portion, or the other piece of scripture that we talk about, the Hebrew midwives, uh, I'm just going to read from Exodus 1.15. Actually, the last verse, because I think we're all aware of the Hebrew midwives from last week. Um, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. That's God's blessing on the midwives. When they didn't have the, didn't, they lied to Pharaoh and didn't kill the male children. But God's blessing on them isn't because she lied, because the midwives lied to Pharaoh. God's blessing is because they feared God. And so God gave them families. Again, it's not a instance that we could argue into the fact that God approved of their lie. The blessings came because they feared God. The blessings came to Rahab because she welcomed the, the spies and because she gave them good directions to get back out. Um, 
There are other passages reporting various kinds of deception in Scripture, but those passages fall into different categories, but none of them clearly contain a lie. I'm thinking about these are some of the actions that were approved by God. Uh, David was pretending to be insane. Um, is one of them. Uh, there's the deceptive actions as military ambushes and surprise attacks. And they do seem to be approved by God in these passages, but they do not fall into the category of a spoken, written lie. Uh, the person with the king and David said, look at him. You know, he's had spittle running down his beard and he was pretending to be so that he didn't get killed in that other land. Anyway, the person said, look, he's, he's insane, he's mad. David didn't say, I'm mad. The person thought it. I know we're, we're treading here, but basically, do we find scripture where God says, I want you to lie? We don't find that. Um, scripture teach them, treats them differently. Always condemning lies, but not always condemning deceptive actions. Actions are not true or false. They are things that happen. And people instinctively treat actions differently. Um, actions have ambiguous meanings. Propositions, written and spoken words, do not. Um, let's go on to this a little bit. Um, without indicating God's approval of the lie, these some other passages where Michael lies to protect David and herself in 1 Samuel 20, verse 6, and where David counsels Jonathan to lie, and in 2 Samuel 17, 19, and 20, where a woman lies to protect David's messengers. And all these other passages are cases of what we might call deceptive speech, but it is not clear that anyone actually told a lie in the sense of affirming something that they thought to be false. <clears throat> Are we sometimes required to lie? This goes into that impossible question. The seemingly only off option when you're harboring a Jew and a Nazi knocks at your door. This, this comes up all the time, even in this chapter. But something to ponder that real life situations offer many more options than what's written in text and what you might be told is your only option. <clears throat> he goes into the story of the Tambooms. I don't know if anyone else knows. I know I've heard that name before. Nazi soldiers came to their house. They had hidden two, two of their brothers under the floorboards in the cellar in the kitchen. And the Nazis were interrogating and they got a hold of, her name is, Oh, I can't find it here. Anyway, they got a hold of one of the one of the sisters, and the, the people in the house knew knew that she was brought up. She was she's not going to lie. When they ask her, "Where are your brothers?" She's not going to lie. And so that she evaded the question two or three times, and they eventually really, really got her nailed down and says, 
where are these brothers of yours? And she says, uh, they're under the table. So it's the kitchen table, it's right there. So the Nazis start, like, go for the table. When they do that, she starts laughing. And the Nazis realize that she's being foolish. You know, you can see under the table, obviously, they're not under the table. And they leave in a big, a big, big storm, and out of the house they go. The truth was, her brothers were under the table. They were under the rug, under the trap door in the cellar. But, so she told the truth. God's intervention? I think so. To allow her to tell the truth, the Nazis didn't find her brothers. Everybody's okay. The point is, even in that situation, she did not have to lie to the Nazis. A Christian in that situation should immediately pray for God's wisdom to know what to say without lying and without disclosing where people are hidden. You can not answer. Silence is an option. There's another story in here of, a, of silence by a third century um, person who had hidden somebody who the king wanted killed person was tortured. They didn't say. They still didn't say. And in the end, the king gave them, I don't know, accommodations or credit for being honest and truthful when the person was found out to be not guilty. Um, God, again, provided a way to be honest, truthful, not lie, and still the situation turned out all right. Um, does this hidden Jewish and the Jews and the Nazis situation present us a tragic moral choice. As in, do we have to lie? Um, this point is more significant than I think we first realize. I've thought about it since last week when we talked about it when Brian was teaching. The lesser and the greater. Do we sin a smaller sin than a larger sin? And I'll, I'll read his, his words here because he puts it better than I could. The point is more significant than people first realize. I'm concerned that in today's evangelical Christian world, carefully constructed hard cases too often are used as a wedge to open the door just a crack, to in induce people to admit that there are some situations where it would be morally right and acceptable to God to one, disobey one of his commandments that he has in Scripture. This is the position of Joseph Fletcher, who, took a, who wrote a book, Situational Ethics, labeled hard cases in which a person supposedly had to lie or murder or commit adultery or steal in order to follow a greater principle of love for others, that is, to do good for others. But such reasoning from hard cases quickly leads us to rationalizations for many other sins. It's easy for people to progress from it is sometimes right to lie to preserve a human life to it is right to lie when it does no more harm than it does when it does more good than it does harm and then to it is right to lie when you think it will bring good results and from that to it is sometimes right to break other commandments of the bible when it will do more good than harm the end result is a terribly weak personal ethics system that lacks any backbone and ignores the commands of scripture and that simply seeks to bring about the good results by whatever means that are necessary, without getting caught, of course. 
and the whole system quickly slides into moral relativism. That was the return of the lesser versus greater. The connection between lying and a person's moral character. Let's give a few examples if a person lied. God will be dishonored because a human being who bears God's image and represents God on the earth told a lie and thus represented his creator as a lie. People will begin to think of the person who lied, at least sometimes as a liar, as someone whose words cannot always be trusted. The moral character of the person who lied will be eroded because in difficult situations, he or she failed to obey the biblical commandments against lying. It will become easier for the person who lied to lie in the future because once a person thinks it's right to lie in some circumstances, lying will seem to be an easy solution in other circumstances and the person's lying may become more frequent. And others may imitate that person's acts of lying, multiplying those results in other situations. The consequences of eroding your character by lying. But what if the person remains silent and doesn't lie? Or what if the person just simply tells the truth, refusing to lie? Let's follow through with that. The person will have trusted God to bring about the right results, including protecting the other person's life. God will be honored because the person's action portrayed his or her creator as one who only tells the truth. People will begin to think of the person who told the truth as someone whose words can always be trusted. The moral character of the person who did not lie will be strengthened. Because a difficult situation, he or she faithfully obeyed the biblical commandments against lying. The person who refused to lie will become more likely to always tell the truth in the future, remembering that it was not necessary to lie in the difficult situations of the past. And the speaker's truthfulness may be imitated by others, multiplying these results in other situations. In this way, the work of the kingdom of God will be advanced. <clears throat> in fact, truthfulness in speech may be the most frequent test of integrity each day. Each time a person speaks the truth or he lies, he aligns himself either with God or with Satan. With God, who never lies, or with Satan, who is a liar and the father of all lies. A person who tells the truth or remains silent, even in a difficult situation, faithfully represents the Creator as one who tells the truth and does not lie, and therefore becomes more closely conformed to the image of God. In addition, as noted above, telling the truth often requires inward trust in God to govern the circumstances and the outcome of the situation. So those, basically, if lying is understood to mean affirming in speech or writing something you believe to be false, then the overall testimony of Scripture is that lying is always wrong in every situation and every circumstance of life. And this will be true for all of eternity. And that's the first slide. I have two. So that was our biblical basis for lying and not lying. 
So what happens when we tell the truth? Positive obligations that are implied by the ninth commandment. Psalm 51, verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We should faithfully help everyone in as much as we can in affirming the truth in order to protect the integrity of his, the other person's, name and their possessions. By way of practical application, we should love truth and seek to promote it and defend truth in all areas of human knowledge. That is one of our tasks. Now we'll go into a couple specifics. The necessity of responding to slander. Um, as we see through scripture, Jesus defended his good name when it was required. Uh, from, from, from Scripture, Proverbs 22.1, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Jesus answered them in John 8, 49, 8, verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. The second passage illustrates a general pattern in Jesus' ministry. He always defends himself immediately and firmly against false accusations throughout the, his entire ministry. The only exception was the unique situation when he was on trial leading up to his crucifixion at the end of his life. In that situation, it was important that he submitted to the Father's plan that he would die as a criminal under false accusations and that he fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That is Isaiah 53, verse 7. Today, we often see Christian leaders mistakenly allow their names to be dragged through the mud, to be slandered, and they don't, they don't rebuke those people because they, for fear of damaging themselves, are getting into an argument. What we see is that truth is truth. It's always truth, and it's not okay to let a false thing be. Um... And we can take some, some other instruction from Paul. He had a similar concern to protect his good name and the name of the ministry and the good name of Christ and the reputation of the gospel when he demanded that the city officials of Philippi come to the jail and publicly release him and Silas, thus showing public vindication of their innocence. And that is from Mark 13, verse 11. Also, it's in Acts 16, 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. So that's, def that's a, what's the right term? That is 
scripture backing up the fact that we should defend our, the truth and not allow others to falsely accuse us and to just accept that. This one's a little obscure. Spying and undercover police work. Let's just go through this uh, really quickly. It is in the chapter. Um, it's not wrong to conceal one's full identity. You don't have to tell everyone everything all the time. So if you're a spy, you can say, I'm Bill. <laughs> Why are you here? Well, I'm here to do this. If you're doing that, that's fine. And Joseph, that comes back to Joseph when he was governor over the land in Egypt. He didn't tell his brothers right away that he was Joseph. He didn't tell them he wasn't Joseph. He just didn't say he was Joseph. He let them not know the fact until it was time for him to tell them. Um, and that goes into telling portions of what's true and leaving out other portions. Um, it brings into here the, the, the point of Christian evangelists going into other countries. They're teaching English. They're there to share God's word, but they're also teaching English. So, in, this, in his scripture, he says those are all allowable actions because they are not, they are doing what they said they're doing. They're just doing more than that. They don't have, you don't have to divulge every single piece of everything. The second point he has is plagiarism. And that is lie, another form of lying if I speak or write things as if I wrote them myself. That's a lie. If, if, when you hear me preach Sunday morning, I'll say I did a lot of studying. Some of these words are not my own. And that's truth. I'm not trying to take credit for what other people have written. And I see Duncan does it also. He puts up quotes. He puts up excerpts of books. And he gives credit to those people so that they get credit for it. So that we don't claim that these are our words if we write them verbatim. Now, we all have knowledge. We've read books. And we take things from everywhere. And we put them all together into our own words. That's a different situation. The third item he has in here is punctuality. I thought it seemed a little out of place. But as he goes through this, he says that if you promise to someone you'll meet them at 9 a.m. for coffee and you show up at 9.20, and the only reason you didn't show up at 9 a.m. is because you didn't leave your house early enough, that in a sense is lying. You've taken that person's time when they thought you'd be there at 9. You didn't make an attempt to be there at 9. You were there at 9.20 because you didn't try. You just assume they'll wait for you. He rolls that right up into the category of honesty in yourself, in how you conduct yourself and how others see you. And after a while, people will begin to doubt whether this person is trustworthy, as in they can't ever seem to show up when they say they're going to be here, so can I trust him with anything else? And it degrades your character in front of others when you make a date and can't keep it. That does not say you had tire problems, your kids needed extra thing. You know, I mean, there are a lot of other things that can delay a person from arriving on time. But if the only reason you have is you just didn't get up out of the house early enough, he is taking that as disrespectful of your friend's time 
and not following Jesus' teaching as loving your neighbor as yourself. He brings his own life into this in the fact that he always showed up late to church, apparently, when he was first going, and he had to move his leaving the house time ahead 15 minutes <laughs> so that he could always be there on time. Um, that was his testimony in the chapter that he seemed to have no control over being late all the time, but it turned out that he really just needed to leave the house 10 minutes earlier because he was lying to himself. It will only take me 15 minutes to get to church. I will be there on time. He realized that he was not. And it doesn't say if he did when he wrote this chapter, if that's when that happened or not, but that would be ironically funny if it was. Um, the last category we have here, other common situations. These are situations that, approve, that happen to us in everyday life. It is, in every case, maintaining a principle that it is never right to tell a lie. So that in that situation, with that understanding, there is no such thing as a little white lie, a harmless lie told to persuade someone to go to a surprise birthday party or told to conceal a Christmas present and so forth. Other means of persuading the person to get to the party could be employed. Many truthful things that can be said that do not involve the lie. What should a husband say when, he asks his wife, when his wife asks if she likes the dress she has bought or her new haircut? But he does not think the dress or the haircut is attractive. I'm reading this verbatim. <laughs> Here I can give personal counsel from 48 years of marriage. It is always better to tell the truth and do so following Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. That's the point. <laughs> That's the point for us. And that goes wives to husbands also. Just saying. Um, this means speaking with kindness, humility, and thoughtfulness, and also speaking truthfully. And he gives an example here. Maybe he's tried this. I don't know. Well, it wouldn't be my favorite, but the color is nice. Yeah, right? I mean, how would that work, ladies? It's not my favorite, but I like the color. Is that? That's a fail. That's a fail? <laughs> Not going to cut it? In my life, it would be. That's all I'm saying. Well, that's what I'm asking for. We're, we are at the end of... We're at, hey, let's go to breakfast or something. Right? We're at the end of our prepared materials, so we have, we have time. I wanted to get through all of the rationale and reasonings for why never lying is our standard as Christians. Um, he says, perhaps Matthew 10, 19 could just barely apply. What you are to say will be given to you in that hour. <laughs> the results may be momentary disappointment, but in long term, a husband and wife will trust each other to speak truthfully with love and kindness, and the benefits to their marriage will be great. Um, and he gives another answer. When someone says, hey, you'll probably hear it this morning, how you doing? You say, I'm okay. Okay is an answer. It's not a falsehood. 
Okay in our culture could mean anything. I'm okay. All right, well, now you know I'm not really okay. You know, I'm okay. Just Or, or you could respond, and I've, I've had someone counsel me this later. Do, do, are you, do you really? Let's go over to the side here, and I can tell you how I am. Or did you just want to say good morning? I don't know if a few of you have ever heard me say that. I know I do say it occasionally. Because if you really wanted to ask me how I am, it's going to take more than two words to tell you. Because things aren't okay, you know. Or maybe I am great, and I can just answer, I'm great, you know. But responding with a question is another way not to lie. You don't want to answer the question, but you can ask another question. Maybe get down to a point where you don't have to lie. You don't feel like you have to lie, where you can tell the truth and it's still okay. The conversation goes on. Life goes on between us, friends or family members. Uh, church members. Um, and that gets us to the question. I know I went through it quickly, but I wanted to give us at least 10 minutes for discussion. First question is probably the only one we'll get to. You haven't had time to let this sink in, but last week we did touch on lying. Someone, Brian's, Brian's, has this chapter in last week's view on lying has that changed the way you think of lying in the past week? I'd be lying if I said it didn't. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Yeah. It did. It did for me as well. Um, the white lies... Little lies, things that don't seem really to have any real impact. Yeah, I like that new hairstyle. You know, don't really like it, but, <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, that's kind of ironic because my wife did just get a new haircut, and I do very much like the new hairstyle. So that's that is not the truth. I just lied. <laughs> but that was meant for hyperbole or effect. That's that was in the first second portion here, but. Um, Always telling the truth in all circumstances, at all times, in love, with kindness and a tender heart, is by far the easier position to hold. Maybe you can remember when you were younger. Maybe you gave a shot at lying, couldn't remember your story, got in trouble because you can't keep your stories right. One lie builds to the next, builds to the next, and pretty soon someone asks you about what happened three days ago and you can't remember who you told what. It seems to happen to teenagers when you give it a shot. <laughs> sometimes it happens to young adults. Sometimes it happens to six-year-olds, you know. I mean, it, it, we all, I think, have given this a try to see if I can appease everybody by telling everybody everything they want to hear all the time. Not a good, not a sustainable Habit. Would a habit of complete truthfulness in speech enable you to be more fully glorify God and advance the work of his kingdom here on earth? And followed right behind that, do you know anyone who you would consider completely trustworthy in everything he or she says? And if you know that person, what do you think of them? 
passing anything merely to say the truth. Because mm-hmm. sometimes the truth is not beneficial in the situation. Um, because it will, even if it's the truth, it's more hurtful than. Yeah. So I think there's more of a grace in knowing when to hold your peace and, and give grace than to be like, well, here's the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, like. We don't want the truth to be a club. Yeah. And it, it could be used that way. But. And you would be right in saying the truth, but you would be wrong. You would be wrong. You're not, yeah. You didn't love your neighbor. Yeah. You weren't treating your neighbor the way you want to be treated. You weren't, yeah. you weren't loving them. Sometimes the truth needs to be said because the person is willing and ready to hear the truth and make changes maybe that they need to make in their lives. Other times it's just hurtful to tell the truth so you don't have to tell anything. Not answering is... It may very well frustrate the person who's asking, but maybe then they can come back to you later and say, I, you really, really didn't answer this for me. I really, really want you to tell me. At that point, maybe they're prepared to hear the truth of the situation because it's probably a character flaw that you're really talking about. And they may need to... you know. They weren't ready to hear it the first time, maybe the second time they are when they come to you looking for that. Mm-hmm. Just right along with what she was talking about, I think it's okay to put it off a little bit too because it might not be the right setting. Mm-hmm. You know, if, yeah. if someone comes to you, if we're sitting in a classroom like this and someone comes to you and says, hey, what do you think about this? It may not be the right place to be pointing things out. So it might be one of those cases where you have to sit with them and say, look, let's meet someone Let's meet somewhere and mm-hmm. say, I, I mean, that's not, I don't think that's, that's not a lie in any way. Nope. That's, just a, that's not a lie. You're right. You, you prevented lying. You didn't. So what we're, what we're trying to flush out is how do we live this life? Loving others, sharing God's word, sharing the gospel truthfully so that we can become this person who others say, boy, you know, I really think I can trust so-and-so's opinion on this because they have proven themselves truthful. I know they've been truthful in the past. Or I, I don't know of them as a habitual person who, who is found to be spreading lies or manufacturing lies. Um, Another thing I'm thinking of is like, it becomes tricky sometimes in this day and age because you could be speaking what you think is the truth, but it's not. And I feel like there's so much like, deception and misconception like floating around internet what Inter- internet well, facebook yeah. the internet, google like, with things that you know like when people ask your opinion about something mm-hmm. you try to give your like with all the truths that you know right but you don't know the actual truth it's like it becomes it's yeah that's your truth you know and uh, like, oh. so well if it's it's tricky, it's tricky uh, nowhere in this chapter and in a couple places it said if, if what you told was the truth that you knew it at the time, mm-hmm. that's not a lie because you didn't intentionally 
know something to be false and speak the opposite or write the opposite of truth. But then I do think that it is very important because you're talking about like, do you know people and that character? Like if something like that happens, I think it's important that you go to that person mm -hmm. and you apologize or you talk and mm -hmm. you say, hey, remember this conversation we had? Well, actually, I want, you know, yep. because that's the thing with the whole character thing. Who do you trust? Like it becomes hard. Like even people that think they're speaking the truth aren't mm -hmm. always, but it's important to, you know, be, yeah. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I get exactly what okay. you're trying to say. I, I think we all do that. Yeah. That you, your, as you go through life and have conversations about issues, current day issues that you have, the facts you have in front of you might not be complete. Mm -hmm. So you'll come up with an opinion. To, as to what's right or wrong. And um, that isn't wrong, but it, it could be. Your opinion could be wrong, and you should should very well be able to have a relationship with your fellow Christian brothers and sisters where you can discuss and be wrong. Mm -hmm. You can be wrong and still not have actively pursued a lie. So... We give each other grace that we don't know the whole story, that we don't know all of the details. We know we can trust Scripture. Even Scripture can be quoted wrongly and used falsely. Um, but we try to get the whole, all of Scripture in our conversations. We try to know God more fully each day. Um, we're teaching an ethics class to try to get to this. This is a big subject, and... The do you always have to lie in the really hard situation has changed the way I think of that a little bit. I think, no, you don't always have to lie. Maybe I don't need to give an answer, and I suffer the consequences for not answering. But I didn't lie. I protected someone else's integrity, someone else's the opinion of someone else has, rather than to give something false I only spoke truth, or I didn't speak truth at all, as in I, did, I stayed silent. Um, we can only hope that we aren't put in too many of those situations in our life. And we can pray that if we are, we can ask God for the words and guidance in how we're supposed to respond in this situation. Um, and that pretty much wraps up I was thinking we might have more questions, but... Question. Uh, well, it's not a question. Well, it is a question. But, you know, I think it's perfectly fine in some instances if people are coming and asking questions and you just tell them how you prefer not to discuss that, especially if it's someone that you know is trying to run you into a debate or purposely trying to stump you. Mm -hmm. I think it's that's that's Jesus' example when he was uh, the Pharisees came to him and they they asked him a question about 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 something well how he does his works and he asked them well, do they believe in John's baptism and he turned on it he didn't answer their question he asked them a question to see if they were being deceitful 
trying to trick him into a lie or trick him into a situation where they could have him hauled off and stoned. And he asked them about their answers. And they, they answered, if you recall, um, he says, is, is John's baptism from God or from man? And the Pharisees said, well, if we answer it's from God, then they'll, the people will be mad at us because we, had, you know, we were against John. But if we answer it's from it's from man, then right, right, and he, he caught the Pharisees in the two points: either they were going to lie for fear that the people would would get would be against them, or they were going to have to lie for greed for their own authority that they knew more better than John that they were correct and John was wrong. So in that situation, the Pharisees' answer was, well, we, we don't know. <laughs> Which was untrue. But the truth was, rather than be in the situation where they were trying to run Jesus into a corner, he put them on trial, basically, and exposed them as liars. So that's also another approach. Jesus, you know, that's Jesus. He's he's so wise and spirit led that that came naturally to him to respond that way. But for us, it's like, well, ooh, I gotta think. Uh, I'm <laughs> a really crafty question to trap them, you know. But <laughs> but let's step back and go. Okay, boy, this is a hard one. I'm in. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit could yeah. you guide my words? Right. And it might be be silent, <laughs> yeah. or it may be uh, a good response but it would come from the Spirit, not from your own mind right. or from your heart. Gwen, did you have something? I was just going to say that um, I know raising an adopted child, the truth of things mm -hmm. has, like, over the years played on me as far as um, always wanting, like, to be known to our daughter that we're telling her the truth, you know, so that she can trust us and, you know. And yet, at the same time, being, um, of course, cognizant of the timing, her maturity, and so mm -hmm. forth. But I had come across a um, kind of a, a, a statement about that years ago, which I always think of, where it was like, if you aren't being totally truthful, say, in that circumstance, I'm then stepping into the story that God's intended to write on her life. I mean, like, I'm... Not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm stepping into it like God has written this story and therefore I have to trust like him in always telling the truth of that as she's prepared, mm -hmm. but not, um, you know, out of love for her, but yeah. also like it can be difficult, you know, because of circumstances and so forth. So, I mean, like, I have felt like I've tried that as a parent, parenting her. I mean, mm -hmm. even from, you know, our kid was probably the only kid in preschool that didn't know there was a Santa Claus because, you know, she asked and we told her no, you know. But mm -hmm. I mean, I think sometimes, like, out of love, we tend to want to hold back something by omission, mm -hmm. but we have to be truthful at the time that they're ready to hear it and not sugarcoat it. And this is the truth. This is your story. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, yeah, that's a difficult, mm -hmm. was difficult, I'm certain, mm -hmm. for you. 
I don't have a reference there, but you're actually, you're right. And we are really running out of time today. So um, quickly, Lord, thank you for this time. God, thank you for your word. And we just, we just know and expect that your Holy Spirit will minister to us. And your truth of thou shalt not lie will be strengthened. It will be known by us as your word and your instruction for us. God, help us to follow through on that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.